generation dwells here. And then we moving by the pack, so we moving them. And even if you don't, then you do, cause you cool with them. They be like, I only went to school with them. Welcome to Color Correction, a Jesus-y podcast about race and faith from the perspective of a black girl, an Asian guy, and a white guy, too. I'm Andrew. I use he-him pronouns. I'm Asian. My name is Bethany. I use she-her pronouns, and I'm a black woman. My name is Chris. I use he-him pronouns, and I am white. So, what? You know what's weird about that intro? Every time I'm like, you got to say that your name is Bethany and you got to say that you're black. I feel like one day I'm going to be like, I'm Brittany and I am Indian. And like to say something totally wrong one day. That's like my fear. There is always a moment for me where I'm like, should I say I'm Asian? Should I say Asian American? Should I say I'm Taiwanese? It's like, so there is mm. like, because because when Johnny's on, he introduces himself as Egyptian. You know, mm-hmm. so there is a moment there where I'm like, how... How in how how deep into it should I should I introduce and, and I, in our first episode I think I said I was a cis het man. Oh yeah, we did used to say yeah. that. We did used to say our sexuality as well, so, right? Yeah, there there is always a moment where I'm like, how deep into it do we? Anyway, uh, the first thing that we like to do is talk about uh, stuff we want to mention or add or correct from previous episodes. Yeah, I was listening to the last episode, and it's interesting when we record it like feel so um i don't know i feel whatever i'm saying in that moment but after being able to listen back i can like uh reflect better and i heard myself saying that i was really hurt in 2021 and felt very unseen and used by people and i'm not certain that i don't want to collaborate with white women i think i want to collaborate with people who see my full humanity mm-hmm. that's really what i think i was getting yeah. at but at the time mm-hmm. and i have not had that experience um from a lot of white women that I've collaborated with and those potential, those uh, particular experiences um, were really hurtful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like, I mean, do you feel like because of these negative experiences with white women, though, you're just like generalizing onto all white women? Yeah, I think that was what I was doing. And I realized, oh, I'm not caping for white women here, but I actually think there's a deeper sentiment under what mm-hmm. I'm saying. And that is a deep uh pain um that comes from being deeply unseen and dehumanized yeah, I, I, yeah. does that make I think sense that does make a lot of sense i guess i'm saying that like sometimes prejudices make sense but i also don't mm-hmm. want to fully commit to that because that's how you that's because if you follow that too far you end up in bad places i guess mm-hmm. i can say that mm-hmm. sometimes i i i understand how prejudices can begin but it's also useful to interrogate how we arrive in to in that place Mm-hmm. And I think that's where right. I'm at, right? So I know I, I've said I said this in the last episode. There are community organizers that don't collaborate with white people, or there are spaces where white people are not allowed. And I think that's valid. Mm-hmm. When I listen to myself again, I heard myself saying, "I want to be seen and humanized." Does that make sense? But I still can understand why somebody would not want to collaborate. But I don't actually think that's me. I think yeah. I'm just in recovery from being hurt. Yeah. Does that make I sense? Think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So I'm not inviting white women to the cookout. Like they're not getting any potato <laughs> salad, but I may bring the leftovers to work the next <laughs> okay. day. Does that make that sense? That makes sense to me. Yeah. I mean, if. And if they put, but if they put some fucking raisins mm. in it, back to not collaborating. 
<laughs> I was right. I was right. Collaborate. <laughs> yeah. like, I mean, I also. I, they told me don't. They told me don't do it. I did. They were right. I was right. I also hypothetical raisins. I, I mean, I also think it's important <laughs> to acknowledge how deep the hurt that white supremacy puts us runs, and how kind of all encompassing mm-hmm. it can be. So that mm-hmm. like secluding yourself from white people can be a protective measure that makes sense. And then when you extend yourself to, like, you know, offer leftovers from the cookout, that's like, that can be a, that itself can be like a brave act. And then, Mm -hmm. because you're exposing yourself to just being re-traumatized when they put Mm -hmm. raisins Mm -hmm. in it. Those hypothetical raisins. So. I think those hypothetical raisins are moments when white women are like, and I get it as a white woman one time. And it's like, no, 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 it's not the same. So those are like oh, the hypothetical nice. reasons. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, ah, oh, you still don't get it. Right. But anyways, I agree with you, Andrew. It is a protective mechanism, but I don't actually think I'm there yet. I think yeah. I've just had a lot of hurt. Yeah. Um, And I mean, s- similar to that, I feel like some people listen to the previous episode and just assume that I like hate kids. <laughs> um, And I want to, and I feel, and I did say in that episode that I like, I I feel like all of my friends' kids are delightful people. Uh, But I do want to acknowledge the fact that, like, I guess another part of my difficulty with kids is just kind of my anger and disappointment at the world in general, you know? How, like, because of the end of the child tax credit, like, half of all families can't feed their kids. Or the fact that, like, everybody's Mm -hmm. running out of formula so they can't feed their babies. Mm -hmm. And... Mm -hmm. You know, right. this, the fact that, like, this stuff just gets worse and worse. And uh, and a part of me, I think, wants to, like, a part of me feels sad that we live in this world. And a part of me kind of blames parents. You know, sometimes when you hear about, like, an animal attack, you're like, uh, I don't know, a bear killed somebody. You're like, oh, I, I wonder what that person did to the bear. All the time. <laughs> you know? So a part of me hears about the misfortune of parents and i'm like man what i wonder what you did to deserve that it must be because you had kids <laughs> i'm just digging myself deeper into this hole that's hilarious <laughs> i was just thinking that i was like i don't think anybody's gonna feel different <laughs> yeah um and you know what this is all really connected to uh, just generally how kind of depressed i feel at the state of the world which is why i wanted to talk mm-hmm. about this uh, uh, uh what we're talking about today which is kind of an expansion on what we talked about last time, which is managing these Mm -hmm. kind of intense feelings of oftentimes anger and depression and anxiety and in general, our mental health. Because I acknowledge that the way that the way that I feel about kids oftentimes is a reflection of my general feeling about the state of the world and whether I think existence itself is worth it. Um, because sometimes, and I've said this before, sometimes it doesn't feel like it is, and it doesn't feel like it's going anywhere. And those are those. That's mm-hmm. classic depressive depression thinking, you know. Um, but I thought that exploring that more in depth was worth doing mm-hmm. in an episode, you yeah. know. So I don't know. What do we? I've I've talked a little bit about what I'm struggling with. What do you What do you guys think? What do you What are you dealing with? I think one of my biggest struggles right now is being single in my 30s. It really sucks. And 
I don't know. I don't think of myself very much as a very traditional woman, but I do have traditional desires for love and marriage and children and stuff. And being single is like, I don't know. It feels like a punishment sometimes. Mm. One of my sorority sisters said, uh, I think on the podcast, maybe she did. Um, but I know Devon has said, um, she was in the black girl episode that sometimes she feels that like, is, is God punishing me, right? For my past or how much I've dated. And sometimes I wonder that I'm like, damn, are you punishing quiche nasty God? (laughs) Is that that what this is? But I also, I recognize that God is not, um, God's not vengeful like Mm -hmm. that. But yeah, yeah, it's hard to figure out. It feels like a punishment as a good mm-hmm. Christian woman. <laughs> yeah. I've been really struggling with um, the disappointment I felt in some really long-standing friendships that have like, well, I don't know if they've ended, but they've definitely changed. And I've, I've lost respect for several of my really good friends recently. Mm-hmm. People who I'm like, sometimes I'm even still talking to, I just like... We have we we have not gotten to this. Like there's this like thing that happened. I'm upset. I'm hoping I'm I'm hoping that like you'll talk to me, and that's not going to happen. I have to, like so I have to bring it up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you're the one who has to initiate the the repair of that relationship. You feel like well, I'm at least the one who's hurting. Oh, so you feel like you're do you feel like no. you're alone in that hurt? I wonder. I, I yeah, I, I'm not entirely sure, but I but I at least know that like. I'm upset and like, um, and like, there's like, there's, there's damage that's been done here. I don't know if, I don't know if it can be repaired, but I at least like, at least I think if I'm going to, if I'm going to recover or have any hope to, I need to say something to that person. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I don't even know if the, if the friendships can be repaired, but I, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm just at the level where like, I'm still hurting. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, how do you guys feel like these these things are expressing themselves in your day-to-day though like yeah i think that's yeah that's the particular struggle right or that's Mm -hmm. the particular part that makes it a struggle Mm -hmm. is i obsess over being single all the time Mm -hmm. i obsess about past relationships Mm -hmm. i obsess about like dating apps and preparing to date i i think the way in which how often i think about being single is almost torturous mm-hmm. and that feels like the struggle yeah mm-hmm. i know that for me the thing the areas in my life where i feel like uh where i wonder is god punishing me for this or like is this mm-hmm. god doing something are the areas that i maybe it's god maybe it's not but either way something about me says is tell something about me feels like that's worth paying attention to mm-hmm. um and I also have difficulties with that kind of rumination. Mm-hmm. And also it gets stuck in weird ways. Like my general anxiety about the state of the world expresses itself as at, in being annoyed at parents and specifically and sometimes like being annoyed at my friends who have kids. <laughs> I really have to get off this kids thing. It's making me look like a terrible person. <laughs> Not to me. Thanks. Thanks, childless Chris. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know, right? I got nothing to lose over here. <laughs> All of your friends with kids are like staging a revolt yeah. in front of your That's home right. right now. That's right. You can come to my house. It's fine. Yeah. We have lots of room because we have no kids. Well, Chris, what do you think about this? Do you find yourself dwelling on these relationships that you've lost? Um, 
yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's even like the 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 overlap. Mm-hmm. The overlap is that like these are people that like used to be a part of our church. It's it's made connecting at our worship times hard. Like I don't want to go. Mm-hmm. And that's that's part of what's that's part of what's in there for me is I there's there is definitely some trauma. Like I don't want to return to that place where we used to have this shared experience. Mm. Um, it's I it's hard. That. It's it's mm-hmm. hard for me to wanna to wanna go back there. Like they're not they're not coming back. They're not there. Like they're not stopping me from going. But it's it's actually the known absence that that place will bring up for me. That makes it hard for me to want to set foot in those doors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, so that's like I'm avoiding going to church. <laughs> I think a lot of us have been avoiding going to church, honestly. And I'm sorry to say that because, like, in in so many ways, it's not about the people who are there. Mm-hmm. It isn't. It, it's about what it, it it's about what it brings up for me to be there. Right. Um. Yeah. I feel like we want to get at something deeper when it comes to mental health and like how. How devastating these things have been for us, right? Because I too have experienced those loss of relationships, Chris. And I think it manifests in, I can't focus on, we've all experienced so much loss that I think it is manifesting in a fixation on one angle, right? So for you, Andrew, it's like the world is in fucking shambles and y'all bitches are bringing more children (laughs) in the world. For me, I'm like, oh, you know, I've experienced so much loss and so many friendships. It feels like nobody wants to choose me. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I think these manifestations of what we're struggling with actually speak to bigger symptoms of what we've been experiencing. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's like, do I want to keep doing this? What do you mean? I think is what, What's I, the I mean, like, the, I think that this is like, do I want to keep, like, going to to this church? Do I want to, like, do I want to try again with new people? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. and get disappointed again? Like, yeah. Yeah, I, I feel the loss of those kinds of church relationships or any kind of relationship, that's been t- that's been tough for me to deal with the loss of those types mm-hmm. of relationships. And I'm even thinking about like back in uh, when Circle of Hope was our North Broad site and right before we merged with Frankfurt Ave uh, and losing and how like so many of the people that I came up with in that period of time are basically gone. And like I, I'm in a lot of ways the only one left of that particular cohort. And also like certain relationships or other people that got married at the same time or in their early 20s and the, the end of those relationships, which, you know, the, the, like divorces. Yeah, divorces, like the first time one of my one of my friends got divorced, um, uh, somebody from Circle of Hope got divorced. It really felt like a death to me because it was a part of me mm-hmm. never even realized that like realistically that that could happen like that a. A, a relationship yeah. could end like that and something about like the expression mm-hmm. of like those two people like that is over and it really felt like uh it really felt like a death you know like somebody died yeah. and i'm never gonna see yeah. that person again uh mm-hmm. I, i'll see you know one of them I'll, or you know and i'll see a different expression of that relationship but you know that's that itself is dead 
Um, mm-hmm. And I think really a lot of times the them, the them, yeah, of that the is them dead. of that is dead. And a lot of times I feel yeah. like that's what I end up grieving. Like I want things to not end. I want them to go mm-hmm. on, mm-hmm. and I want the expression of them to stay because it's safe and I understand it and I know how to navigate it. So every time we go through yeah. through one of these transitional periods, whether we're talking about like. Uh, you know, Frankfurt mm-hmm. Ave combining with North Broad, or we're talking about like, you know, Candace leaving, or we're talking about like the fucking pandemic, or we're talking about our church just shedding, like mm-hmm. just hollowing out because we decided to become affirming and anti-racist. Mm-hmm. I like every anytime yeah. we experience loudly, yeah. right? We we said that we were those things, but then when we started saying it a little bit mm-hmm. louder and actually applying it, people got the <laughs> hell up out of there. Right? Yep. <laughs> yeah. And every time, like I experience one of those, like I every time we I feel one of those shifts, it really does hit hit me, and it feels me like mm-hmm. it yeah. it hits me like a like a death, like something I knew is dead, and I feel like grieving it. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's because we need to better explore the different iterations of grief, right? Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. as you're saying, like a death, I have had a similar experience with a relationship, like a romantic relationship that just we had to cut Mm -hmm. it. And I couldn't figure out why I was still struggling a year and a Mm -hmm. half later. And it was because I didn't take it seriously like a death Mm -hmm. and grieve it like a death. So when we have these different experiences that are not death, but the the loss of it has that same sting and we don't acknowledge it, I feel yeah. like that drags out the pain. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. I I, I, I completely agree. Because we've had a lot of death in our church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. We, we were like, we came into this like wanting to talk about mental health, but we're talking about grief. <laughs> yeah, we're actually talking about grief. Yeah, well... That's what we've been commonly to sharing. be fair. Yeah. This, I, for me, this grief is the cause of it has been has has been the trigger of a lot of the, the expressions, certainly of kind of the mental health stuff I've been feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, as I'm talking about like grief and depression, I, I am mentioning certain things about the church where I have ha- feel, feel like I've had to grieve parts of the church. We've lost so much of our identity as the church, I think we've lost so many people that it has shaken our identity and it has shaken the way that we relate to the church forever now that I miss the yesteryear and the simple times <laughs> when the biggest argument was not having our prayer blog on. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. The main prayer blog. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, damn, I would go for some more of that type of racism. Give me a little appetizer <laughs> racism. We started having main entree racism. <laughs> that shit. Yeah, up. yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. I, 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 yeah, just like I said before, like a lot of times, what I grieve is the like is the simple is the is the is the simpler expression of what happened before, like the thing I could understand, like when you, in you dealing with the, the end of that relationship and like being in a year and a half later, like were there periods of time where you felt like you wished you had gone back, you could go back to it, always, yeah, yeah. which is a very normal yeah. thing. Yeah, um, no, I, I usually it. I, don't feel that in grief, but in that particular relationship, I right. do. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I miss who we were all the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. For sure. But the thing about it is, is that we weren't who we thought we were. Right. 
And now that we've redefined that, we're more aligned and, and collective and we can build trust. But yeah, that I miss that facade for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Is this the like where we where we are now is uncomfortable. Like it really brings up for me, like I I, I mean I, I talk about like not wanting to go back into the worship space for the people who have left, but I mean it's just like it also causes me to question all the relationships I have left. Mm-hmm. Like it's not just about the people who have left, but it's like it really is about the people who are still there too, and mm-hmm. like what could happen. Like mm-hmm. if these people who I loved and trust so deep deeply left, like what's next? Mm-hmm. Who's next? Me? I don't know. <laughs> I catch myself not wanting to go deep with people because I don't want to get hurt again. Mm-hmm. Like Andrew, whereas you're saying like, um, you know, I miss the thing that was, mm-hmm. I catch mm-hmm. myself going into new situations feeling like, all right, where's the grief? Or like, how can I avoid the grief? Uh. Don't go too deep. Don't have, uh, don't let people know you too well and keep it, keep it very surface level. Or I feel like in my personal life, I blow stuff up before it can go too deep. Mm. So I don't lose it. Mm. Yeah. So I'm like, give me the grief now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, right. Me with that grief. <laughs> yeah. I'm ready. For I mean, what you're saying it. Right. Connects... when it's like a, when it's like a, a niblet of grief. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, what you, the, what you're saying connects to what you were saying earlier about wanting to avoid working with white women. <laughs> Cause you're trying to avoid, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're trying to, you're, you know, you're anticipating the pain and you're trying to avoid it. Frequently, I do the same. I do the same thing. It is hard for me to, uh, it is hard for me to meet uh, new people or to get to know people, as even in our church context, mm-hmm. because, you know, a part of me thinks like, well, this is uh, very temporary. I will definitely outlast you. Uh, because I, la- I, <laughs> uh, it, so, because I, I end up staying longer than everyone else until I'm the only one left. <laughs> and, uh, e- yeah. So I kind of anticipate the worst so that when it does happen, um, I'm not disappointed. You don't exactly. hurt. That's, and yep. that's kind of how I deal with things. But the, I mean, the shitty thing is that like, it hurts anyway. <laughs> It does. Yeah, yeah, and all yeah, I've yeah, done is add yeah. the anxiety of anticipating the hurt to the actual hurt. <laughs> <laughs> you brace for it and then it still hurts. It's like, oh, that bracing did not help me. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, is, this conversation for me is amazing at like the very similar cloth we seem to be cut from on this subject. This is, I'm finding this very surprising. What do you mean? That um, we have this collective grief, which we which which we know about, and we've talked about. We we also have a like. I'm surprised at the similar ways we're dealing with it. Mm-hmm. Across the board, like I know this. I know this is terrible. I just I I feel a connection to you all in that and that shared suffering, but also like our shared approach, which is not entirely good it just is what it is mm-hmm. just wanted to say that like I, I i feel a connection to you in that in the way we're processing mm-hmm. this i mean i think it is interesting how i think it, talking about it from the lens of our church is useful because we share this mm-hmm. con- this experience but i think it has affected us all 
differently in a, in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, for instance, because we have, yeah, we have different. Experiences yeah, we definitely have different experiences. Just like sure. the way we talked about sure. anger last. Yeah, week. yeah. And I'm hoping, just in case this isn't clear from the context, and I, honestly, I mean, the pastors have been talking about it with more clarity on the resist and restore. Like they've been pretty honest. They they had a couple of really honest conversations on the podcast, which I thought was was pretty mm-hmm. cool. And it, uh, um, but um, I mean. Our, our church in going th- in becoming openly anti-racist and uh, affirming, you know, we uh, lost a lot of people and are going through the painful process of being separated from our denomination right now. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of people weren't happy with that. Uh, so a lot of personal relationships have ended. Um, but like, it's affected us in different ways. Like Bethany has been like maligned and directly attacked. You know, and that ex- the experience of that, I'm sure, especially from like people that you loved and trusted. Let's be clear, though, ain't nobody maligned nor directly attacked my ass to my face. Mm-hmm. It has come in secret white conversations, right. which has its own, like, yeah. which comes with its own trauma. Like, if you hear about it from from somewhere else or from something else, it also comes with the um, myth of the angry black mm-hmm. woman, right? Because these are people that I've had right. relationships with. I've been a part of this church for eight years. I've been having conversations with these people for eight years. But suddenly, when it comes to the topic of racism, I turn into an angry black woman that can't be talked mm-hmm. to. So instead of having any sort of conflict with me or any sort of conversation with me, I have just like that book, all the white friends I lost. I just have not heard from some people in over a year. Yeah. No conversation, no conflict, just hearing the trickles of white unrest in the background Oh, and never hearing from Mm -hmm. someone again. Yeah. And Um, I mean, for me, because I've done this self-protective thing for years where I pretty much have tried to only associate people that I'm pretty sure won't let me down (laughs) with like a lot of my worry has been secondhand. Like I'm worried about Bethany. I'm worried about Johnny. Like I'm, I, I, I try Mm. not to show up to places that will, that where I will end up being hurt or I only like, Mm -hmm. I'll only play my cards or be in a situation if I know that like I'm going to come out on top so I don't extend myself in that way right exactly Mm -hmm. so like that's been my approach and which comes with plenty of like uh kind of anxiety and and also and and tension um and I'm and Chris you're describing how you know there are friendships that you had have had ended and a lot of grief around that and I know in the past yeah, you've also talked like, about like a lot of anxiety over what the right thing to do is and whether you can stick up for yeah. your friends and stick up for yourself. Right? Yeah. Right. The the way I'm dealing with it, we are differentiating the the ways we're coming at this is like I avoid it. Mm-hmm. I like I like when I talk about friendships ending, I talk about people whose like parties I've gone to, I just don't feel as deeply connected to them. Mm-hmm. But like on on some level like we're still talking and still in each other's lives but i'm 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 avoiding the real pain that i feel when i'm with them and when i'm not and i'm thinking about them do they know that you have this pain towards them because it sounds like you're you actually have not lost these relationships you're still in relationship i would lost the state that they previously were in that's do they know that do they know that this loss exists no and that's that's because I haven't 
really come clean about that. Mm. Right? Like, that's not good. Like, I'm avoiding it. Hmm. Yeah, you're avoiding the pain of having that conversation or... I think I'm starting to yeah. understand what you mean when you st- when you said that it's like one-sided. Yeah. Because you're feeling yeah. this loss but they don't necessarily. Which is typically what I've done. Like when when things are hard, like I I move to pleasant, you know, just keeping things pleasant. But that's mm-hmm. not necessarily real. And I feel that. I feel that, but like I'm not sharing it, so the other person doesn't even have an opportunity to do anything with it. And I'm not getting better. Yeah. I think I've experienced that from you before, Chris. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure you and Beth both have. Yeah. We If, if we've been friends for as long as we have, oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm. That's a little different, Chris. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's... I think it's a little difficult that we're having this conversation on the podcast and you haven't had the conversation with your friends yet. That's something that I want to explore because yeah. it's obvious that you have feelings that are developed, but I wonder, yeah. and I'm sure they feel it, right? So I wonder what keeps you from having the conversation. And I also am like, I wonder if your lack of uh, resistance in that relationship mm. feels like acceptance. Like they actually... Either they feel it and they're also avoiding it, or yeah. they actually think that you're on their side and that you agree with their moves. And that well, feels I dangerous would, to me. Yeah, I would I would hate for that to be the case, but you're right. Like what is what they is stopping could. them from, what is stopping them from feeling that? Yeah, way? they could, Chris. Because they don't talk to let's be clear that they yeah. don't talk to my black ass. No also, more. Yeah. You, you know, hearing you talk about this, uh my anxious mind says, like, well, is Chris is Chris telling me everything? Or is he just being pleasant to me? Like, is Chris really on mm. my side, or is he just telling me mm. what he, what what I want, what he wants me to hear, so we, so we have a pleasant relationship? You know? Yeah, and I I think that's fair. That like like why wouldn't you feel that mm-hmm. way? Yeah, yeah. And I think we've talked about this before. Well, one we just said it, and how like these issues are showing up differently for mm-hmm. us as mm-hmm. how uh, you know we show up in the world. Um, but it's also interesting again in that, like, I have had no choice in losing these relationships. These white people left me, have not contacted me, have, like you said, like, talked trash about me, things they would never say to my face. Let's be clear about that. But you have the option of still having those relationships and just acting like nothing happened. I don't. And that fucking sucks. Yeah. Because I, I did love those people as much shit as I'm talking. And again, yeah. they still haven't said it to my face. Mm. Right. But right. I, it wasn't an option for me to keep those relationships. They left right. me. And they left me because I'm a black woman. Right. Yeah. So I think it's actually difficult for me to hear this. Because this is an opportunity I, that I just will never have. <laughs> like the relationships are dead. Whiteness was chosen. Mm-hmm. So Bethany, what I hear you saying is that um, your yeah, Chris has options that you were never given, you know. Mm-hmm. So, like, it wasn't an option for me to coast by and act like the work that I was doing isn't happening. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Me and Johnny don't get to maintain these relationships. Mm-hmm. I don't want them. 
but it's not even an option. So it's interesting as I'm hearing you talk, Chris, because I'm like, oh, shit, if I was a white lady, I guess it would have been an option for me. Yeah, I don't. I feel like I made this awkward. Sorry, guys. No, I, I mean, like, didn't consider it until now. No, but it, but like, yeah, I don't feel great about that either. But it's that is where things are sitting right now. Mm-hmm. Like that is a real difference. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, and I, I. It's not like it's not resolved, and I, I do like I do want to acknowledge that difference. Like. Mm-hmm. We are not the same in that way. And I think it's also hard for me because some of the things that I've heard that have been attached to me aren't accurate. It's just ideas that white people have about me in these conflicts. So like the idea that like somebody would just stop being my friend, leave the church. And part of the reason why they leave the church is for me. And they never said anything to me about it feels so wild because it's like, Mm -hmm. you know me. We could have had a conversation. You know me and I love you. We could have had a conversation. So it's so interesting to have an identity formed for me, even after years and years of knowing somebody. And Chris, that didn't happen to you. I was a cool black woman for a long ass time, but that switch flips as soon as whiteness is threatened. Mm -hmm. And I become like everybody else instantly. Mm -hmm. And that's something that does not happen to white people. Mm -hmm. You still get to be white, if you voted for Hillary when every, everybody else in the family voted for Trump, right? You still get to, you still get by, right? Right. But if a black woman in any way threatens whiteness, you are dead to those white people. Mm-hmm. And it's, it'll give you fucking whiplash. Mm. I have more salt than I realized I had. Well, I'm salty I think, shit about the last year. I mean, the, the thing I've already always admired you about you, Bethany, is that you is that you are willing to extend yourself to even make those relationships. Whereas, like mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. like the, the 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 slightest hint of I don't know, just intuitively, if I if I think that somebody w- isn't safe, like I I uh, I start protecting myself by not dealing with them. You know, like mm-hmm. said one thing to me in like 2012. And I was like, well, that's the last conversation I'll ever have with <laughs> and it And it was. <laughs> that is wild. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. And I'm the opposite. Mm-hmm. I'm very much so the type of person that keeps giving chances. Right. You know what I mean? Even in all of this conflict, I still pray. Mm-hmm. My prayer every day is, God, you redeem all things. Like, hopefully you redeem this thing and I can be in community with these people again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I admire and I don't that know about why you. I'm like that. Uh, it annoys I mean, me about me, actually. Because <laughs> it would well, be easier if I was like you. You know what I mean? Like uh, I yeah. get my feelings hurt all. You, you, you know this, Andrew. Mm-hmm. People be hurting my feelings. I, I mean, I know that, and it, and like the fact that you continue to, uh, to allow yourself to be hurt in that way um, is something that I admire because I there's so much of it that I don't see in myself. And like I don't know, Chris. Remember that conflict when we had, uh, you know, I, 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 I think there was a time, you know, was upset about that article, and then she like ranted to you for forty-five minutes about me. And when you told me that you had that conversation about me, like I was kind of hurt. I was like, you had this conversation with her, and like you never stood up for me, and you were like, 
well, I was like trying to preserve that relationship. And I got mm. that. Like, I get it, you know? And like, but, but a part of me was also like, man, I feel, I feel bad that you didn't, I feel betrayed that, that like thought that she could bitch about me to you for 45 <laughs> minutes. And you let her think that, you know? Mm. And when I told, and I, I know when I told Beth about this, she was like, well, I, I, I don't, I wouldn't blame Chris for not standing up for you because sometimes he has a problem standing up for himself. And like her telling me that allowed me to have a lot more compassion for you. Cause like, I understand that like, uh, cause I understand that that's the place that you're coming from a lot of the time. Have you yeah, ever told Chris like, that story before? Have I told have you? Have you received I, that? I, I, this, oh, is, the, is yeah. this the first time I've told you that? Oh my god! I gosh. don't think you had told him All that right, I don't know. No, that's a... But like... I'm not going to defend myself on that. And, and and Beth, I don't think you're wrong. But like... I, neither one of those is like... Neither one of those is a... a, a like, both are true and neither one is particularly flattering. Yeah. For, like I don't, I don't... Oh no. No, no. And, and, it, and, it, and it's okay. No, I'm like seriously, it is okay. Like this is like... This is a room of people I love and trust. I don't... I don't like... I don't love this side of me, but it is not false. Yeah. Like this is something... This is something I am dealing with. Like this is a part of me, and like I do want to talk about it and expose it. I'm not. It might proud be of difficult it. to expose it on the podcast, though. The first time you're I don't hearing know. about it, I'm okay. I, I want to make space for that to exist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If it was the first I mean, time can... that Andrew said something to me about something I did, I may not oh, want yeah. to work it out on a live episode. <laughs> right. So if you no, don't want to like... work this out on a live episode, I think you have every right to that. Sure, and we can, we can, we can, we can come back to this. But like, this actually feels immensely. <laughs> easier okay. than other things we've talked about. Okay, good. Um yeah, I at this stage I'm not I'm not wounded. Um and I and I I hope I don't know, I want to keep it in cuz that might be helpful for somebody. Like Yeah. This is this is a protection afforded to me by whiteness. We do need to talk about it in that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Like I can have these foibles and it's like that I like like that I avoid conflict and like and one of the one of the consequences of that avoidance is I expose my really good friends who who don't have the same privilege and protection like hearing it in this way like it makes me really sad to know that I put you mm. in a position like that like and it, I, like, actually makes me want to change. <laughs> like, to, makes me want to mm-hmm. do something about it. Like, I don't want to do that to Andrew. You know, like, but I did. And I'm doing it now by avoiding some, by, by avoiding some hard conversations. Like, it's, it's a thing I'm doing right now that, um, puts our friendship in jeopardy rightly because I'm not actually being your friend. <laughs> By avoiding some things. Um, and I'm sure I'm not the only one, which is why I think we absolutely need to leave this in. Like, mm-hmm. because this isn't just, it's not just me. There's other white people here who, like, like have real friendships, like, with people of other races or want to. And this might be the thing hindering them, them from happening or hindering them from deepening. Yeah, not being able to take critique in. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. we absolutely need to like make room for that, and and actually be on the front line. Yeah. So yeah. I, I'm 
so that all that to say, I'm sorry that I didn't speak up for you. Because that, that article was fucking awesome. <laughs> and, and people should good. go back. Thank you. Yeah, people should go back and read it. And nothing nothing about that article was wrong or needed or even needed defending. It was mm-hmm. it was right and it was righteous. And I'm I'm sorry I let walk all over me on that point. Thanks. I do I I appreciate that. Yeah. Um I don't know what this episode is about anymore, but it's pretty great. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We've we've gone so many places, but yeah, I mean uh. I mean, we're touching on things that kind of activate us. Um yeah. And we're, we've also talked about ways that we deal with it. Like Chris, I know that the way that you deal with a lot of these things is avoiding these difficult conversations. I, I feel, yeah. and I, I mean, I, yeah. I'm describing how I also kind of avoid these conversations by just cutting myself off from them. I either like cut myself mm-hmm. off from the possibility that they happen or I like, I, I like wall the wall off the people or wall off the difficult things. So I don't have to deal with it or I wall yeah. off the feeling. So I don't have to feel it. Um, I just apparently always go to war. <laughs> you feel like that's true? I do. I I feel Beth, like I'm Beth always in a, very, a fight. Mm, yeah. You Do I, you disagree? I, that's an interesting hesitation, Andrew. I don't disagree. <laughs> I like your upfront... I like I, your upfront I mean, style. I, I don't disagree. I'm just trying to... My impulse is to say that that's... My impulse is to be like, well... Again, like that's something that kind of I kind of admire about you, but because it's so yeah. different from my approach and maybe Chris's approach, I can see how there would be a downside yeah. to it. Because maybe sometimes you yeah. fight mm-hmm. when you don't have to, but because like I, I oftentimes need to work myself up into a fight. Like I, I kind of wish that I had more of your approach. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I think I never want to fight, but because I'm so direct in ways that make people uncomfortable, I feel like I'm direct in ways that most people are not, and it ends up causing a fight, even if I'm not actually like approaching it from a contentious angle. Does that make sense? Right. Mm-hmm. Like I know when I'm being contentious. Right. I'm from North Philly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> most of the time, I'm actually trying to maintain relationship. But it ends up turning into a conflict or a war. Yeah, and be, do you think it's because mm-hmm. you're being perceived as contentious even when you're not? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so because of that, you've developed a lot of skills on how to be in a contentious situation because you just find yourself in that situation even when you don't mean to be. I think I've developed some skills, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I certainly end up in conflicts that I don't mean to be in most of the time. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever... Mm-hmm. No, that's not true. I oftentimes can look at situations well Andrew you've been in situations with me I'll avoid some I'll be like I've noticed this thing is it a thing okay and then a couple of months later I'm like okay we gotta address the thing Mm -hmm. and I'll recognize that it could be a conflict and I don't Mm -hmm. want a conflict but I don't feel like it's something that can go unignored or unacknowledged Mm -hmm. does that make sense do you, well, I, I mean, it makes sense. You get you get into it because you don't even think you have a choice because you think it needs to be addressed. Yeah. Like, I usually wait for somebody else to address the thing, mm-hmm. and then usually nobody does because people don't like conflict, mm-hmm. and then I feel obliged to deal with it before it gets bigger. Yeah. It's not always a great thing to be driven by obligation, though. Do you, 
it. Uh, no, it's terrible to be yeah, driven by obligation. Yeah, because it means that mm-hmm. I, right. as somebody who feels, who a lot of times is also driven by obligation, I, I, I can say that a lot of times, like, a lot of my anxiety is like, oh, what is the right thing to do in this case? Mm-hmm. And, like, mm-hmm. am I doing the right thing? Am I doing what God wants me to do? Is this the, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's all, all becomes about, like, right and wrong. And I get really stuck in that kind of black and white thinking. Um, yeah. I feel similar. Yeah. Like yesterday, um, <laughs> I walked by, this has nothing to do with anything, basically. I walked by a kitten on my way to work. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and I try, I was like, well, this kitten's just fucking strolling down the road. I, does it need help? And I tried to like catch it and it like hid next to a utility pole. And I, I tried to like get, like pry it away. It was like in a cluster of pipes and I was like trying to get it out and it was really resisting me. So I was like, all right, good luck kitten. I'm going to work. And, right. I, and I caught my train and the rest of the day I was like, man, should I have, should I have stopped? Should I have tried harder to catch that kitten? Should I have oh. missed my train to take care of this poor helpless animal? Um, and then I, I, and then on my way home, I passed by the same cluster of pipes and the kitten is still there. Really? Yeah. It had all been day? there out in the sun all day. So I did end up picking it up and then taking it home and taking care of it and then i dropped it off at an animal shelter today after like furiously googling yesterday like how to bathe a kitten how to feed a kitten Um, (laughs) so like incredible so like at the end of the day i did end up taking care of this kitten but so much of but i as i think through this process like so much of my thinking was not like oh poor kitten i feel so bad for you it was like man what am i supposed to do what does a good person do in this situation Mm -hmm. what am i Mm -hmm. supposed to do like and then Mm -hmm. like on my way home, I'm like, I guess nobody did anything, so I need to do this. I'm now obliged mm-hmm. to take care of this kitten. And I don't feel bad about having yeah. taken care of this kitten. But I, but part of me looks back on this experience and I'm like, I did all these things because, like, I felt that, like I was morally obligated as a good person to do these. And God, like, put this kitten into my life so I could do this. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, and so, so much of it is driven by obligation and so much of it is driven my, ang- about around my anxiety over what my obligations are, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I identify with that heavily. Okay. I, um, was, I was talking to, um, somebody that's writing a book about the church today. And one of the lines that she wrote from me two years ago, I guess it was a quote from me two years ago, is that I see myself as a missionary to white people. And that, I do not like that. But I know that I said it two years ago, so it should probably remain in the book. But like that idea that I have to be missional (laughs) all the time, Mm I identify with that, right? So you kind of making that kitten like your mission of the day, that's some shit I would do in a different way. Mm-hmm. Probably with white people specifically. Yeah. As a, as a side note, um, I don't mean to take credit for this, but I'm pretty sure that that quote came from me to you. Oh, it did. You're right. You're the one that said that like being in relationship with white people has to be missional Missional, right like Mm -hmm. yeah i don't want to be a missionary to white people though that yeah i think i might have said something like in order to stay in this place in some (laughs) sense you have to have a missional attitude or something yeah that feels different yeah um okay Thanks for that reminder, though, because hmm. that missional attitude in order to remain in a predominantly white institution is different than 
me being out here saving white people. Mm-hmm. Like I imagine having tracks or something. Oh, right. Like as a missionary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But even like my saying that comes out of like, again, but probably the reason that you connected to it is because for both of us, it it's like out of obligation. It's like I'm framing this as an obligation mm-hmm. and that motivates both of us. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, so you felt connected to what my, my saying that, you know what I mean? <laughs> what that was right i was like oh yeah that makes sense um, but that that's because we're preachers kids yeah right almost like certainly you got to be able to sing you got to be able to dance you mm. got to be able to preach on the side yeah. teach sunday school mm-hmm. like you're obliged to make <laughs> the church run mm-hmm. and i think even though we don't go to a super up and down evangelical church me and you particularly bring that energy to this space. Yeah, for sure. And also Just like in unique ways. growing up and seeing how involved your your parents and your family members are and how like they end up sacrificing stuff and they end up giving up time. So it's like, yeah, it becomes the norm and you become driven by obligation in that mm-hmm. way, mm-hmm. Um, which I remember. Yeah. <laughs> so growing up, we had a one room apartment in uh, in Northern Liberties, but not the Northern Liberties that exist now. The people wasn't walking with their bichons and mm-hmm. jogging uh at night but anyways um and i remember my mom invited this woman from our church over to stay at our house for a couple of days because she needed it and my mom cooked for this lady and we had a one-room apartment so mm-hmm. like it was five of us in a one um bathroom so it was five of us in this house this lady was on the pull-out couch in the living room mm-hmm. me my sister my mom and dad are in the bedroom and we're all sharing one bathroom but my mom cooked for this lady like just treated her like gold because she just felt like the lady needed to be treated well mm-hmm. and that's the type of being the church that i grew up with mm-hmm. that you really sacrifice mm-hmm. yourself that you really just yeah. do things because somebody needs it yeah it's always yeah. it's always about servicing others. Yeah, I, and a part of that I think is really positive. But on I think on the other on the flip side of that I think it can be, um, it can be really anxiety provoking, because instead of like coming from a place of love or a place of compassion, uh, a place of really like respecting this other person's humanity, it it can be it can come from a place of like of obligation, of mm-hmm. like I'm doing this mm-hmm. because it is the right thing to do. And mm-hmm. I, I need to do it. Otherwise, like, God won't love me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's dehumanizing a little bit to the other person, too. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, yeah. that person totally. becomes a totally. prop for mm-hmm. being saved. Your salvation. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean. Yeah, I don't know what would motivate me if I wasn't obliged sometimes. I mean, that's Because that's I really, definitely yeah, do I come know. from a place of a obligation. And honestly, uh, that's yeah. a lot of what I've been unpacking in therapy. Because so much oh, of my life has been like driven by obligation, but also like mm-hmm. I really do believe in, for instance, I, I I really do believe in like helping other people and and serving my community and serving the church, like in doing and being available in these ways. But what does it mean to be to be motivated by something beyond just a fear of judgment and the mm-hmm. the need to be to be doing the right yeah. thing to what does yeah. it mean to be motivated by more yeah. than obligation um so and so for me a lot of my work in the past you know couple of years has been fi- figuring that out um this is me segging into 
how faith deals plays into how, like how how faith deals <laughs> in, uh, plays into how we deal look with at, mental health. Look at stuff. Andrew still reading the outline. <laughs> we should just good. Like a, a he's such a good anchor. We should have a Jesus jingle that w- when we're like ready to bring Jesus in, we're mm-hmm. like, and let's add a little bit of Jesus. <laughs> that's, the, that's the jingle. That's gotta be that's it. That's the jingle. Just that. that was beautiful. Let's add a little bit of Jesus. There we go. Snap <laughs> it off beat, Chris. It's Zoom. You can't do that. Oh, right. It's, it's on beat for me. Sorry. Um, well, we can't have that as the jingle, though. Is that my part? The off, like, <laughs> the off the beat snapping? snapping? Yeah. I, think I mean, fits. maybe that is yeah. maybe that is the jingle. Yeah, the off beat snapping. You, that's very, <laughs> you need to do that as a white person. <laughs> you do. You do need to be off beat. But I'm. Oh, I, I just take that so personally. <laughs> I, this is the part of the podcast I've taken the most personally so far today. Um, Your rhythm. <laughs> Yeah, but like my point is that like I'm 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 rem- I'm reminded of the things that are uh, that are beautiful and significant about my my faith and what I believe about mm-hmm. Jesus, mm-hmm. Uh, and I and I'm trying to separate that through the process of like taking care of myself in therapy from the parts of it that are like really harmful or toxic, the parts that are motivated by obligation as opposed to love, mm-hmm. and that's been yeah. the work for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really hard part for me because I have trouble differentiating what is obligation and what I want to do. Mm-hmm. I don't think mm-hmm. I know the difference. Is that have you have you um, have you? Uh, are there things that you use to figure out the difference, or is this something that you're just dealing with like right now? It's a concept that I'm just considering right oh, now. Damn. Like, okay. oh, there's a difference between. I've heard people say it mm-hmm. before. But I think um, it's sitting with me differently that like, oh, most of what I do might be from a place of obligation mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, Andrew, we have given you some real. Yeah, work I don't to know. Do. I, I don't know how I'm going to do, do this. Holy cow. Are we okay? This is kind of inconclusive, but is it okay if we end the main bit here? Cause it's, I think this is a two part episode. Yeah. Yeah. Chris, the white guy on the Color Correction Podcast. If I was Beth, Andrew probably would have picked up and you'd be listening to some pithy, witty banter right now. So you see how I rank, but enough about my insecurities. Um, You have been listening to a part one of a two-part episode. We were so... Dang it, Andrew, I'm starting over. I'm calling again. I lost my momentum. Cute. Hey, everybody. This is Chris, the white guy on the Color Correction Podcast. Hopefully you're like me and these episodes where we get deepest into the weeds and talk about um, our our lives and faith, our, our mental health, our emotional state, um, are rich and meaningful and full enough that when we cut you off halfway through, you'll want to come back and listen to the second half. So hopefully this message doesn't come as too much of a shock. 
but we'll be back with the second part of this episode soon.